Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. During the the course of last year, uh, on and off, we continue to turn to the book of Ephesians, and uh, there are still some very important lessons in that book that I want us to consider. Uh, I think whenever we talk about uh, something, well, you see it projected, slaves and masters, we need to to have a sensitivity. Uh, we, We need to be thoughtful and considerate, but we don't need to come to a passage like this and skip over it. We need to think about what God is saying to us in His Word. And so as we get started, I think it's important that we, we thoughtfully consider what Paul has written about Christian slaves and masters. As we do that, we need to acknowledge the fact that the practice of slavery was uh, an accepted fact in the Greco-Roman world in which the earliest Christians lived and worked. Um, in a society where slavery was a way of life. It would be it would be natural, I think, expected. Some masters would become Christians while their slaves did not. Some slaves would follow Jesus while their masters did not. And in some cases, both masters and slaves would become followers of Jesus. And so, it's not surprising then, as as God addresses other relationships, relationships between husbands and their wives, relationships between parents. And their children, part of the, the household experience at that time, that there was also a relationship between masters and their slaves. And God is going to speak to all of these various situations. I want to point out also that the New Testament neither approved or disapproved of this practice. Rather than condemning what we all recognize as a great social evil, Inspired writers sought to regulate it. Again, they didn't come out and condemn it. They did seek to regulate it. J. Lockhart, in his commentary on Ephesians, made this observation. He said, when the principles of the gospel were fully applied to human relationships, slavery would eventually abolish itself, and it did. But until that happened, the writers of the New Testament didn't call for the abolishment of slavery, nor did they call for a widespread revolt among the slaves. They simply set forth some divine guidelines. There are guidelines that govern this relationship. Now, not all of them, but some of them appear in the reading from 
chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. What we're going to look at this morning, uh, guidelines for believing slaves. What happened to someone when they, when they heard the gospel and they believed in Jesus Christ, they obeyed the gospel, and yet they're in this social situation uh, where they're living and working under, uh, under a master. How were they to respond to that? Verses 5 through 8, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. I, I want to consider those, those instructions, those guidelines. Uh, I want you to think about what believing slaves were commanded to do. And after that, then we're going to talk about how and why. But we want to start with what they were commanded to do. In, in the New Testament, we've already said many slaves became Christians. I think the natural response to that uh, of newly converted slaves would have been to look upon their bondage as something uh, completely out of harmony with their new standing in Christ. It, it would have been out of sync. Here I am. I, I'm a child of God. I, I bow my knee. I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is my one and only Lord. I bow my knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It would have been awkward and strange for, for them. You, you could understand how they would have reasoned as children of God that they shouldn't be subservient to any other human being, especially to those who are still outside of Christ. And yet Paul very plainly and very simply commands them to be obedient. And the language is in the present tense. It's an ongoing, uh, uninterrupted obedience. In other words, believing slaves were not to obey simply uh, when the task wasn't too unpleasant. uh, When they felt like it. When their master was fair and reasonable. I'll I'll obey my master. He's a good man. These people are kind. They're compassionate. No, they were to obey regardless of the faith or the character uh, of their earthly masters. didn't matter if their masters were kind or cruel, believing or unbelieving. Christian slaves were commanded uh, to be obedient to them, not because their masters deserved it, but because God demanded it. Addressing that master-servant relationship, Peter in 1 Peter 2 and verse 18 said, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. You can understand how some might be resistant. Here you are, you're in a situation to a great degree beyond your control. You're being asked to serve under somebody who is harsh and inconsiderate. I think most of us would resent that. We would be resistant to it. I think there's another situation. What about if you had the good fortune to serve under a fellow Christian? Now, now there are some that instead of being in this situation, maybe less inclined to obey a harsh and demanding master, they're, they're under the situation serving a fellow Christian. They might be tempted to take advantage of that situation. They might exert less effort. They might avoid some of the tasks that were more uh, strenuous or unpleasant. Well, Paul confronts that kind of thinking. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verses 1 and 2, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. But then, he, he, as you advance this slide for me, please, he, he, he addresses specifically those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. 
Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers. And he says that they are beloved. According to Paul, the master who has a brother in Christ, uh, the master who was a brother in Christ should be given the servant's best effort in terms of effort and respect. Rather than uh, giving less respect, they should give them more. They, su- they should serve all the better. Why? Because the person who is benefiting from their service is a brother in Christ and someone that they love. As we think about how slaves were commanded to, to, to obey, we know that they were commanded to obey their earthly masters. And, and we need to be looking at this. When they did that, they were actually rendering service to Jesus Christ. They were obeying the authority of God in their lives. How were they to do that? Paul said, with all fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Uh, the idea is not that of cowering fear, but of honor and respect that, that makes a person anxious to please. If a slave couldn't honor and respect his master for the master's sake, he, he was to respect and honor him for the Lord's sake as one under whom he had been called and commanded to submit. Listen, this appears in a section of Scripture that started back in chapter 5 with a statement that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he calls husbands to love their, their wives with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And he calls wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And, and the obedience of children is in the Lord. And fathers called out, but parents are to raise their children in, in the love and the instruction of the Lord. All of these relationships. And the way we relate to one another in these relationships, all of it is bound to the greater relationship that, that each of us or all of us enjoy with Christ. That relationship with Him governs how we interact and relate uh, to each other. The Christian slave was not to do the minimum his job required, to work only when his supervisor or other workers were watching him. He was to avoid what Paul uh, in this passage called eye service. Uh, The quality of his work didn't need to be checked up on. He, He always did his his work to the best of his ability, whether anyone else was around or not. He didn't perform his assigned duties just to make a good impression on other people. Again, something that Paul described as being a man-pleaser. Nor did he work to promote his own welfare. He, He worked diligently because doing so was the will of God. And Christian slaves knew that the work they did was done for the Lord. Again, uh, we already mentioned the, the relationship with God and how that relationship impacted the relationships we have with each other. Uh, in this brief passage, five, just verses 5 through 8, bond servants are reminded three times. Verse 5, they're to obey, but it's explained in these words, obey as you, as you would Christ. That relationship is, is we're looking at it through the lenses of our relationship with the Lord. In verse 6, we're to do the will of God as bondservants of Christ. And in verse 7, as they render service, they were to do so as to the Lord. And so they were to render their work, no matter how, how difficult, no matter how demeaning or unpleasant, they were always to do their work as if they were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He would remind them, it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Why? 
And one of the reasons given here in verse, uh, in verse 8 for obedient submission, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord. And, and that's, that's regardless of your station in life. Whatever good you do, God sees that, and, and he will make sure to pay you back. You're going to receive back from the Lord. doesn't matter if you're a slave. doesn't matter if you're free. Slaves who serve their masters with diligence, I'm sure expected to receive better treatment from their masters. But, but even if they didn't receive recognition or appreciation from their earthly masters, they could be assured of this, God would see. And the Lord who sees all things would ultimately reward them for their obedience. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 10 reminds us that God is not unjust to forget your work. He sees, and He'll remember that. And He'll reward you for that. Paul reminded the early Christians living in bondage that no good thing done in God's name for God's glory escapes God's notice or fails to receive God's blessing. There's one more reason that Christian slaves are commanded to obey their earthly masters. The attitude and the work ethic of Christian slaves reflected, it was a positive reflection on their faith in Jesus Christ. This is how... Paul explained it when he wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn. They're to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I think the same thing is still true today. The best way to be a witness when, when you go to work tomorrow is to do a good day's work. To be a good employee. Being a Christian means uh, that we give our very best in everything that we do. It should make a person better, more productive, more agreeable as, as an employee, as a co-worker. If our work is sloppy and careless and we're lazy and we're constantly gossiping and complaining, that's a negative reflection. That that. that reflects negatively on our faith. God's people ought to stand out in a crowd. And not, and not for all the negative things that, that you know, he talks about argumentative, pilfering. These are negative things. We should be well-pleasing. We, we should be showing all good faith. We should be living our faith in a way that is attractive to other people. There's some guidelines also for the believing masters, and we see that Paul turns his attention away from those who were serving to those who uh, uh, were the masters in this in this setting. And in verse nine, he says, "Masters, do the same uh, to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven uh, is in heaven, and that uh, there's no partiality with him." As we did at the previous point, less to say with just one verse, but. We want to see what the masters were commanded to do. We want to see how they were commanded to do it. We want to see why. All three of those points are valid. Paul's command to do the same thing. You might call that the golden rule. You you might say, consider how you would want to be treated. And treat others in the same way. He's just given an outline of of behavior. and, And then he says to the masters in this situation, you also... Do the same to them. Again, that refers back to 
what Christian masters uh, were supposed to do, their behavior towards those who served under their care. They had a deep responsibility to the slaves who worked for them. Paul is saying if the servants were expected to give their best for the benefit of the masters, then the masters needed to do their best to provide for the care and the welfare of their servants. Uh, They were commanded to serve the Lord from the heart. As such, they were forbidden to mistreat or exploit uh, their slaves for personal gain. We're gonna. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but you know, you start thinking about masters and slaves, and you start to apply that to the employer-employee. It's one thing to say about the, the character and the conduct of an employee, but if you're a Christian business owner, there, there are there are lessons here for for you as well. That you know the the main question that I think we have to consider with those who work for us. Would they be able to tell by the way that we treat them? Our genuine concern for their welfare. Not, not, not just that we benefit from the work that they do. Because you're the Christian business owner. But that they benefit. That they also are doing well. Can, can they tell that we have their interest at heart? And not just what we can get out of the employer-employee relationship. What were they to do? Well, that that phrase, do the same, or do to them the same, is is qualified with this give up threatening. And some of the language suggests the idea of loosening or releasing, uh, you know, loosening your grip. The Christian master is commanded to carefully avoid the, the tendency to throw his weight around, to lord it over those under his authority. He's expected to refrain from abusive, inconsiderate treatment of slaves. Somebody had talked about husbands and wives and that relationship and what headship looks like. And just this idea that, you know, when you're the man, you, you probably don't need to keep can, you know, reminding her of that. I'm the man. Or, you know, it, the, the idea was maybe he's not so sure. And he's not reminding her. He's trying to reassure himself. When you're the boss, you, you don't necessarily have to let everybody else know. There's a way that you conduct yourself in relationships with other people. Listen, calling somebody into your office, if you're a business owner or you're a manager of some sort, and reaming them out and, and cussing them out, kind of hard to follow that up with, would you like to go to church with me on Sunday? I understand that there are going to be some folks that say church is church and business is business, but what we do in God's church should affect everything we do when we run our business. There should be a great admiration for people who lead a business under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's not going to be threatening. And listen, I understand you're running a business and people that that don't perform or people who, who will not do right, sometimes difficult conversations have to take place, and even even there are times when people have to be released from from their employment. Those difficult things have to happen. But how you conduct yourself in those situations make a world of difference. And and they all reflect on how people see you as a person who is following Jesus. Again, we get to the why behind the command, both slaves and masters. This applied to both of them. They needed to recognize that they were serving under the same master, that 
that they both had a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if masters understood that, like, like, like their slaves, that, that, they were, they, that they also were servants of Jesus Christ, that they were accountable to Him, they'd show more kindness and more gentleness and genuine care for their slaves. The Christian faith does not bring about harmony by erasing social and cultural distinctions. When we read in the New Testament about servants who became Christians, they didn't stop being servants. And when masters became Christians, they didn't stop being masters. The the Christian faith doesn't bring about harmony by erasing social distinctions, but by working in the human heart. That these, these guidelines that govern the relationship, I don't think are an endorsement of the situation as it stands. We've already said, as people took the Christian faith to heart, all of this eventually would change. All of this. But isn't that the key? What, what someone signs into law isn't what really changes our relationships with each other. It's what's going on in our hearts. And when Jesus is Lord of our hearts, that will change how we interact with other people. Even even when we're placed in difficult and demanding situations, even when relationships are not as we would have them, and situations are not ideal. This last statement here, um, again, I think this is borrowed from... um, J. Lockhart's commentary, we we don't preach a social gospel. We do preach a gospel that has social implications. If our lives are surrendered to God and controlled by His Spirit, it will make a difference. It'll make a difference in how we do our work. Christianity is not just for the worship assembly. Uh, It's for the work environment too. And with that thought in mind then, I want, to, I want to apply a few thoughts uh, as you head to work tomorrow about the relationship between employees and employers. First, as believers in Jesus Christ, you should look at the workplace as part of your personal field of service. It is your mission field. And I understand this idea that some of us wish we had more time to serve God in the church. I want to be involved in this ministry or that ministry and But but you know, some of you spend 40 hours a week, some 50, 60. Some of you put in a lot of hours at work. That's where you spend most of your time. You you need to realize you're not not spending all those hours there so that then, you know, somehow you can run off and, you know, find some time to work for the Lord. Your mission field is where you are all week. And when you go to school... Some of you teach, some of you are administrators. When you go to work, when you go to the hospital, we've got a lot of medical professionals. We've got law enforcement professionals. Just think about this. And where you are all week, that is your mission field. That's your place of service. That's not just where you, you, know, you go punch the clock so then later you can serve the Lord. You're serving Him there. And you need to look at it that way. First and foremost, the workplace is your mission field. Number two... 
a faithful Christian should never forget, it is the Lord Jesus Christ we serve. He said, man, that, the, the, the guy that owns the business, I can't stand. Well, hang, hang on. That, that's not who you're working. Oh, the, the manager, the supervisor, and, and we're all tied in knots. That's not our boss, ultimately. That's not who you're serving. In, in a parallel passage, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.23 said, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do. But, but whatever you do, whatever you're going to do tomorrow when you punch in, you know, when, you, when you show up, wherever you're going, do your work heartily. You're not serving men. Some of us probably need to change the way we look at our job. That, that guy that, that owns the business, that is not who you're working for. Tomorrow when you show up, you're working for the Lord. Finally, as employees, we, we may not always get what we deserve in this life. I'm sure that there are times that you don't get fair treatment, that we may be underpaid or overworked, but the Lord will repay us. And that, that, that promise is made very clearly. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, He will repay us for the good we do. Not all of God's rewards are enjoyed in this life. But we're we're commanded by Jesus not to store up our treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. We're really, we're storing up treasures in heaven. There are things that we give up in this life. And and, and God talks about how He's going to take care of all of that. Our reward in heaven is going to be so much better than anything we feel like we missed out on in this life. One last thing I think we should understand. Only one effective way to open a door for evangelism in the workplace. We have to conduct ourselves in a way that exhibits distinctive Christian standards and values. If you'll bring up that last point, I, I, hope you'll, I hope you'll think about this question as you, not just as you leave this morning, but as you head to work tomorrow and, and just throughout the week. Will my performance at work give credibility to my testimony uh, when I share my faith? What, whether, you know, you're an employee and, and you want to, you want to, you want to share your faith with the boss or with your co-workers or you own the business and, and you want those who work for you to be able to know but by the way you live, what, will they be able to tell? Am I a credible witness? I, I love the fact that there are so many good examples of Christianity sitting in front of me this morning. I, I, I love to reflect as as I'm as I'm sitting in a hospital room over there at Mercy yesterday visiting a member of this church, that the first day that they came in my office, her husband has since passed of, from cancer. They were, not, they were not members of the church. But he knew he was sick and he knew that he was dying and he wanted her to have a church family. And he said, there's one reason. I'd never met the people before. There's one reason we're sitting in your office. 
There's a boy named Josh Marshall that mows our grass. And they were so impressed with that young man. His work ethic, his integrity, his honesty. That when that man got sick and knew that he had very little time left in this life. And and to be honest, he was more concerned about her. He wanted to make sure she had a church home and a church family to take care of to take care of her. What he said is, any church and any family responsible for that boy living the way he does, I'd be interested in that. I think that's what God expects from all of us. To be the kind of people who live in such a way that our lives create an interest in the God we love and serve. Let me tell you, it's not easy. My thought all morning as we're looking through this is, what if I was in that situation? It would be really hard. It it would be difficult for me to do everything that that Paul, writing by inspiration, that, that God speaking through His inspired Word, it would be hard to do some of those things. Christianity is not easy. It is a hard thing to walk with Jesus. It's easy to say, oh, to be like thee. Until you realize how costly that's going to be. But there is no greater joy in this life than to be a follower of Jesus. And there's no higher challenge than to walk under His Lordship. If there's anybody here this morning who wants to come to Him, He he invites you. He wants you. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. If you want to come to Him this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.